Welcome to St. James. Glad you guys are here for our Monday Thursday service this Holy Week. Will you stand with me and let's begin worship. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's pray and confess our sins to God. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty... I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, God Almighty, to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. Please stay standing for the hymn.
The psalm is uh, from Psalm 116. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because He inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is um, uh, the, the covenant that God made with Moses, uh, not the Ten Commandments, but the actual covenant ceremony. And, and it's going to be, I, I know it's a little weird, there's uh, blood, there's blood in bowls, and half the blood gets thrown on the altar, and half the blood gets thrown on the people. And we don't, we don't do covenant ceremonies in our culture. But what's going on is um, God and the people of Israel are entering into a covenant, and whoever breaks the covenant, their blood should be shed. That's what that symbolic action means, the throwing of the blood. And of course, uh, God doesn't break the covenant. His people do, but it's God's blood who gets shed. Exodus 24. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the just decrees. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians 10. This is one chapter before the famous text about com communion, which we always talk about when we talk about Holy Communion. And this is just a couple of verses, but they're really, really good. There's a, he uses the word body here in two different ways. Uh, one, he means uh, the body of Christ in Holy Communion. Uh, the other, he means the body of Christ, the church. And as, we, as I read this, see if you can figure out which one is which, and maybe how they're connected, although we're not going to talk about it tonight. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 14. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It's one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So I, the past few years I have preached about the Lord's Supper at, uh, on Monday, Thursday. This is the, the day during Holy Week when we think about uh, that last evening, uh, the evening that Jesus was betrayed. Tomorrow when we get together we'll uh, contemplate his crucifixion. Uh, Holy Communion is, uh, of course, uh, just immensely important. Uh, but also, also uh, I mean, we all know that, I think. But we also all know that it's immensely confusing. Believers do it, and they receive it faithfully, but frequently they have questions, what does this mean? One of the things we do is we, we take one truth about it, which is one of the main truths, which is that, that Jesus himself is completely, all of Jesus is completely present in Holy Communion, and we reduce it to that. It's understandable that we would do that because when we talk about when we talk about communion with other Christians who aren't Lutheran, that's what it always comes down to. But by doing that, we short-circuit the questions, what does it mean? And what is it doing to us? What should we be feeling and what should we be thinking? How often should we be doing it? These questions get short-circuited by trying to come up with simple answers of what it is. And I honestly, I don't have any like uh, deep, profound answers to the questions tonight. If believers have questions about it, unbelievers as well, are just downright confused about it. I mean, they, they sense that it's some sort of like mystical ceremony that Christians do. They go to church and then they, they all go forward and eat a little bit of bread and drink a little bit of, of wine. But what does it mean and why am I not allowed to do it? I don't have, again, I don't have, question, I don't have answers for their questions tonight either. Holy Communion is, is a massively complex thing. And I'm not saying it's hard to understand. It's just there's so many parts to it that it would take a lifetime to talk about and think about to really get to the bottom of it. And even then, that probably wouldn't be uh, long enough. But one thing that we can do as a starter is, is this. Jesus does not start with, 
this is my body and blood. He gets there, but he starts with the Passover. Holy Communion is a Passover meal. It's not like a Passover meal. It's not a replacement of the Passover meal. It is the Passover meal. This is all, all of the accounts of the Last Supper begin this way, like verse uh, 12, and on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. So if we're going to understand what Holy Communion is, we have to understand what Passover is and what it meant to the Jews. Passover was their most treasured gift from God, along with Torah, even more so than circumcision. This annual, it wasn't a remembrance. It was more than a remembrance. If I can use a fancy word, it was a reactualization. It's a technical word that means every time they celebrated, it made it real in the present. In the present. Of this great event in the past, when on one evening, they were a slaved people, a minority oppressed ethnic group. And the next evening, they were free and liberated, ruled over by nobody but Yahweh himself. And the pagans, the most powerful pagans, by the way, in the world, had been wiped out and defeated by their God. Every year, Jews did and continue to celebrate Passover. Again, not as some sort of like wistful yearning for the past, but as a reactualization. This is who we are. We are the Passover people. And if you went to a Passover meal, whether it was the first one back in Egypt thousands of years ago, or if you went over to the home of a Jew in University City this year and celebrated Passover, you would notice a lot of weird elements, uh, bitter herbs, a certain way that wine would be poured and handed around, a certain list of things that everybody at the table would be required to say and repeat back and forth to each other. And you might think, well, this is all sort of weird, much the same as if an unbeliever comes in and says, why, why do they go forward and why does that guy with the weird dress on hand them a bit of bread and a bit of wine? But if this helps, think for a minute about a birthday party. If you went to one of your kids' birthday parties, if you have kids, Let's just say, let's pretend like you were an alien and you went to one of my kids' birthday parties and you'd never seen a birthday party before and you came down and you walked into my house and you saw that there was a large cake in the middle of the table and there were candles on the cake and maybe, although we don't do this, but maybe people would be wearing funny party hats and there would be a stack of presents off to the side. People would all be singing a weird song about birthday, which everybody appeared to sort of spontaneously know without any sort of rehearsal or sheet to read the words off of. And if you said, what's going on here? Why, are there, why is that cake on fire? Why are you all singing this weird song without rehearsing it? You might say something along the lines of, it's what we do every year, and it's all a part of telling the story of this kid's life. What is a birthday party about? It's a remembrance of something that happened in the past, right? We get together, we remember the day when our kid was born. Some families will actually tell the story again of the day that they were born when they were all together. It's also a celebration of the present. It's a celebration that you're still alive. I don't, probably wouldn't say it like that, but you have life. You've, you've experienced one more year and you're growing and you're changing and you're having new experiences all the time. It's also, though, it's hope for the future. In some cultures, they say things like, you know, many happy returns. 
Uh, when I was growing up, it was obligatory at the end of happy birthday for somebody to sing and many more, which is basically the same thing. May you have many more birthdays. A birthday party is both, it's a reactualization of the birth of this kid. It celebrates a past event. It's a reminder that we still love you and we're glad you're here. We're going to give you these gifts to celebrate one more year in your life. And it's hope for the future. That's what Passover is for the Jews. In fact, if you like, that's what communion is for us. It's a remembrance of the past. We are the Passover people. We are the people that God liberated from slavery in Egypt. We are the people that God made promises to, you are my redeemed people and I will never abandon you. Disregard the circumstances of your life. Disregard the circumstances of your culture for just a few brief minutes and be reminded that I am the king of the universe and I am celebrating my kingdom, which you guys are a key part of. Every time we come together, this is at the front of our bulletin. I've mentioned this a couple times in the past month or so. At the front of our bulletin in the communion announcement, I have that ripped off line from uh, 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 St. Paul's Cathedral in London, which says you're stepping into a larger stream of history when you come to communion here, when you come to worship here. Do you realize that when you come to the rail, you are actually participating in worship with those people who waited inside their houses on that first Passover night. You are there with them in the moment and they are here with you. You are here with every other Christian all over the world on this Monday, Thursday. You are with the Christians you are with right now, your great, 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 great grandchildren who have not yet been born, but whose blood Jesus has already paid for. We step into that stream of history, into that story. And what does Jesus have to do with it? Well, Jesus stands up in the middle of this retelling and says, this is about me. This whole thing is actually me. This is a celebration of the kingdom. It's a sort of a birthday party for the kingdom every time we come to the Lord's table. But it's a reminder that the, at the beginning of the kingdom is the Passover lamb, who Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 is Christ. Right now, it's the Passover lamb. Jesus is here present with us in his word, in community, and in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. And he will be there at, at, at the end. At Revelation 5, at the end of days, the whole church is gathered around the throne and worshiping, what? The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. It's like if you, it's like if you had a, a family reunion. Step away from the birthday party analogy. In this sense, the Last Supper was like, think of it like this. Let's say you have a family reunion. And you have a big family, and you love your family, but your family's kind of screwed up. And you know, and every time you're together, it's sort of bittersweet. It's, it's sweet because you all love each other, and you know that you're a strong, healthy family, but it's bitter as well because there are people who don't get along. There are people who aren't doing well physically. There are people who are going in your family who are going to not be at the next family reunion because you know they're going to die between now and then. And so there's all this both grief and joy at a family reunion. Remembrances of the past, our childhoods and where we came from and great-great-grandma so-and-so. Also hope for the future. I hope the kids keep this going when we're gone. Now let's suppose that you're at that family reunion and somebody stands up and says, I am the family. You would think that they were some either some sort of egotistical, well, you probably would just think there's some sort of egotistical maniac. But that's exactly what happens at that Last Supper. 
Jesus passes around the bread and wine, and we're not sure which cycle of the cups that it was happening with. But he says, this is me. I was there with you in Egypt. I was there with you when you were in Babylon celebrating this. I'm there with you tonight. I'll be with you in every Lord's Supper from here on out. This is about me. See, Jesus takes the story, because that's what it is. Holy Communion is fundamentally a story. It's telling the story of God's people and how he has saved us. And it's taking him, Jesus takes himself and puts himself into the center of the story. And then he invites his disciples, come into this story with me. Become a part of this story with me. So Holy Communion is fundamentally a story. I mean, yes, Christ is present physically, but, but for what? Is that where it ends for us Lutherans? Is that, is, that all that, is, that, is that all that's important about it? I hope not. Why is it important that he be here with us? Because he's telling this story of salvation and redemption, and he's inviting us into that story as well. So what does it do for us? There's two questions that people have when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Let me remind you again, uh, the first part of the sermon was that the story is the main thing. Not the bread, not the wine, not even our theology. It is not a test of theology. It is a story that's inviting us into it. And when we come to this, we have two questions. One is, what does it mean? And the next is, why don't I feel anything? These are the two questions that I frequently come to my mind when I come to Holy Communion. Okay, so what's happening here? What does this mean? How can I understand this better? And why does this not feel anything except I'm stressed out because I have to preach another service after this on a Sunday morning usually? These two questions have to do with what goes on between our ears, what goes on in our head, and then what goes on in our feelings. And let me tell you another little story, a story which is kind of connected to this. After the Reformation, a period of time happened that we call rationalism. The church was not pleased with the formalism and the empty ritualism of the Roman Catholic Church. And so a large part of the church, reacting against what they saw to be like empty rituals, sort of abandoned a lot of the rituals and changed the service into, you, know, you sing a hymn, you have a really long sermon, and then you sing another hymn. I grew up in the Neo-Puritan tradition. And that came about because the church rightfully saw, we're not focusing on God's Word. And we need to get rid of all this other stuff that's not God's Word and focus on God's Word. There's a problem with that, though, and the problem is this. What's happening is not primarily intellectual. That certainly appeals to those of us who are intellectual. Lots of explanation, lots of sermon. There was a reaction against that, though, because it was primarily intellectual. And again, people were coming to church saying, why am I not feeling anything? This guy's preaching a 45-minute to an hour long, 45 minute to an hour-long sermon and I guess it's all good content, but I don't feel anything. What happened then, thanks to the Romantic movement, was shrinking the sermon down and adding lots and lots and lots of music, music designed to make us feel, which, of course, was um, an understandable reaction against the rationalism. Romanticism always reacts against rationalism by trying to introduce more emotions. But can I suggest this? Can I suggest that if we focus instead not on what does it mean, or how does it feel, but on just participating in the drama, that it will 
help us get rid of the bad abuses of an over-rationalistic Christianity and an over-emotional Christianity, but also hold on to truths and feelings which those two, rationalism and emotionalism, were trying to get at. It goes like this. What does it mean? What does Holy Communion mean? It certainly means something, but that's missing the main point. Holy Communion is not primarily something that you think about. It's something that you do. You can't possibly think about everything that Holy Communion means during Holy Communion, can you? Can you think about the Exodus? Can you think about the Last Supper? Can you think about the Paschal Lamb? Can you think about the theology of Christ being completely present in the bread and wine? No, you can't. You might be able to think about one or two of those things at one time, and as Lutherans, we pick out one of those things and focus on that, to, so often to the, to, to the detriment of the others. But you can't possibly think about all those things. What about feelings? How should you feel at the rail? What are the feelings that you should have at Holy Communion? Should you be sad because of the death of Christ and because of our sin that caused it? Should you be happy because your sins are paid for? Should you be determined to repent and to do better with the help of God in your life? Should you be excited because God has promised to make all things new? And this meal is a down payment on the marriage supper at the end of all time. Well, you can't possibly feel all those things at once, although it would be appropriate to try. Instead, can I encourage you to do this tonight? Don't try and necessarily figure out what Holy Communion means. That will come. Don't try and feel something. Just participate in the drama. God invites us to actually get up out of our seats and come forward and do something, like do something physical. Gather around a rail. Take some bread and wine, which you can see and which you can smell, to put it in your mouth, to eat it and drink it, and to become a part of the greatest story ever told. Not as a, not as a witness to that story, but as a participant in it. Not as somebody who's being told that story, but as somebody who, with the help of God, is actually writing the story. Christ in us, writing that story. Jesus invites us into this drama. He makes us not just guests, but he makes us participants in this new great exodus. Come forward with me and celebrate that now. Participate in that now. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray, then we'll have communion. Father, I pray that as uh, we come forward tonight and as we receive your body and as we receive your blood, that you would help us not primarily to think about certain things, that you would help us primarily not to feel certain feels, but that we would be with you. We would be doing things with you, that you, I guess most importantly, that you would be doing things to us, that you would be giving us yourself in bread and wine and in our community as we gather together up here. God, this is in many ways a great mystery, and yet it's so simple. You're inviting us into your story. Help us to be faithful and loving participants in that story. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I, pr I thank you for joining us tonight together with all of your saints from all times and from all places, whether Moses and the first people of Israel in Egypt thousands of years ago, whether your disciples gathered around you at that Last Supper, whether the church at Corinth gathered around in those houses worshiping and breaking bread and fellowshipping together, with our great-great-grandparents long passed away, 
but who worshipped you in the same way and are now with us around this throne. With our great-great-grandchildren, who are not here yet, but soon will be. Whose sins you have already covered with your blood. Thank you for joining us together with all the saints in all times and in all places. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we can only come to this rail because you've invited us, because your son Jesus has taken on flesh so that our bodies can be met with his body and our souls can be met with his soul and our bodies and souls can be healed and redeemed by his body and soul, by his body and blood shed for us and now given to us in this meal. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. Confess with me, if you would, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.